First John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And chapter 4, verse 16. If you've got a King James, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, Behold what manner of love. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when He appears we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him just as He is. And verse 16 And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. For God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. In 1948, a Romanian pastor was taken along with other men prisoner. And for 16 years, he was moved around from uh, camp to camp, tortured, beaten, and drugged. He was subjected to the most diabolical brainwashing anyone could ever endure. And his faith remained. But after long years of torture, he reached a point where he almost broke. It came about that the guards in the prison gave each of them postcards and told them they could write their, their families to come and visit. They had not seen their wives or their children in years. And so this Romanian pastor, all excited, shaved and bathed and put on his new shirt and waited for his wife. He sat in his cell for hours and she did not come. Finally, night came and she had not arrived. In the middle of the night, the loudspeakers began to blare. Nobody loves you now. Nobody loves you now. About two o'clock in the morning, they switched the, the, the taunting and said, Nobody wants to know you anymore. Nobody wants to know you. He had not learned until the next morning, until sometime later, that, that the cards were never sent. The next morning, the guards told him that all the other wives had come but his. They called him a fool. They said, your wife is in bed with other men. And they described in obscene details that. And then at night, when he went back to his cell, they began to taunt again with the loudspeakers. Christianity is dead. Christianity is dead. And at a point in that torture... He almost gave up his faith. And he writes, The Bible foretells a time of great apostasy, and I believed that it had arrived. Then I thought of Mary Magdalene, and perhaps this thought more than any other helped to save me from the soul-killing poison of the last and worst stage of brainwashing. I remembered how she was faithful to Christ Even when he cried on the cross, My God, 
why have you forsaken me? And when he was a corpse in the tomb, she wept nearby and waited until he arose. So when I believed at last that Christianity was dead, I said, even so I believe in it. And I will weep at its tomb until it arises again, as it surely will. After Malachi the prophet preached, there were 400 years of silence. No prophet preached, no singer sang. That 400 years of silence was called the Age of Silence, and the Jews wept at the tomb of their faith. And the silence of the ages taunted, nobody knows you, nobody loves you. Until one night in a little village outside the little village of Bethlehem, heaven burst open and the darkness was covered by an unconquerable light. And angels began to sing, good news, somebody loves you, somebody knows you. No wonder shepherds ran, no wonder heaven rang, no wonder angels sang. For when God descended the stairways of heaven with a baby on His arms, love came down again. Christmas is a time of love, and love has many experiences. There is its expectation. There's a certain anticipation in love. How many times I've stood at this altar here, to my left, is a groom wondering nervously how to hold his hands, where to put his hands. Everybody is anxious for that moment that finally arrives when the organ sounds and that door back there is opened and a beautiful bride steps in on her father's arm. She's looking at him, he's looking at her. She's coming down the aisle thinking, I'm so glad you love me. And he's looking at her thinking, I've got to be the luckiest guy in the world to be loved by you. And in that moment, dynamic moment, the expectation and the anticipation and the dreams of that couple are, are found. Occasionally I'll walk past the nursery when some meeting is being let out. And I see little children who are watching as parents come, their eyes darting to and fro, waiting for mother. That's love's expectation. And mother's working in the kitchen. It's Christmas time, and she's preparing the meal, but she's listening with one ear for the sound of those steps on the sidewalk. Children are home from college. And dad's sitting in his ear, but he's listening for the sound of the phone to ring, to hear those voices he hasn't heard in months. That's love's expectation. There's a certain expectation that Christmas brings. Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow find it hard to sleep at night. Well, they know Santa's on his way, and he has lots of toys and goodies in his sleigh. And there's a certain expectation of Christmas that's, that's indescribable as people anticipate and look forward to those wonderful events. And so in that age of silence, folks stood on their tiptoes 
Jews stretch their necks looking for Messiah. An old woman, 85 years old, goes to the temple, hangs around thinking this may be the day. And Simeon has lived there for a lifetime anticipating his arrival. This may be the day. For Christmas brings a certain expectation. It makes us hope again. It causes us just for a moment to believe that there can be peace on earth and that men will love one another again and there will be goodwill. It helps us once again to hope that things are going to get better and things are going to turn out all right. That's love's expectation. And Susie M. Best writes it like this. That night when in Judean skies the mystic star dispensed her light, a blind man moved amid his sleep and dreamed that he had sight. That night when shepherds heard the song of host angelic choiring near, a deaf man stirred in slumber spell and dreamed that he could hear. That night when... In the cattle stall, slept child and mother cheek by Joel, a cripple turned twisted limbs and dreamed that he was whole. That night when o'er the newborn babe the tender Mary rose to lean, a loathsome leper smiled in sleep and dreamed that he was clean. That night when to the mother's breast the little king was held secure, a harlot slept a happy sleep and dreamed that she was pure. And that night when in a manger lay that sanctified who came to save, a man moved in the sleep of death and dreamed there was no grave. Call it dreams, call it anticipation, call it expectation. It's what love does for man. And then there is love's demonstration. I've read Nicholas Waltersdorf's book, Lament for a Son. It's a book of prayers concerning the death of his son. His boy was off in college in Switzerland. He loved to climb mountains. So one Saturday he decided that he would go out mountain climbing just to get away from the pressure of his books and studies, just for a little relaxation. It's what he did for recreation. He decided to go alone. And he was scaling this pretty simple little peak, and he lost his grip and plunged to his death. And his father wrote, Lament for a son, and writes, O Lord, how can faith endure when you allow us to be so scraped and torn. You allow blood to flow in rivers, and you allow suffering to pile up like mountains, and you allow humanity's sob to become humanity's song, and you do it as far as we can see without lifting a finger. If you are real, then explain yourself if you have not abandoned us, and we listen for his reply that comes not But while we're listening, we see God Himself all torn and scraped. And through our tears, we see the tears of God. He loves you. How do you know He loves you? Because He said so, that's not how you know He loves you. You know He loves you because He showed you 
He demonstrated it. As a matter of fact, there is not one time in the Scripture where Jesus ever said to anybody, I love you. Have you ever wondered why? Perhaps He wanted us not to have a weasel way out of loving. Maybe He wanted us to understand that love runs deeper than just words and platitudes. And so He showed us His love. Pretty awesome thing, wouldn't you say? That the God of heaven would come down to man. Pretty awesome thing that God would try to get in touch with man suffering. Perhaps you watched with me as we looked at the Olympic Games in Barcelona. 1992, the semifinals, there was a young 26-year-old Brit by the name of Derek Redman, who was one of the uh, favorites to win the 400-meter dash. And in the semifinals, I'm sure you saw it, this young man, as he rounded, started to round the final curve. He pulled up with searing pain. He had ripped a hamstring muscle. And while we watched on television, I remember it exactly like it was yesterday, this young man began to walk to the finish line, dragging his leg behind him. And the, and the camera focused upon this. And this father ran toward his son on that track. And when he got to him, he said, Son, you don't have to do this. And his sobbing son said, Yes, I do. And so the father said, Then we'll do it together. And he put his arms around that boy. And together, father and son slowly made their way to the finish line. And when they crossed it, he buried his face in his father's shoulders and sobbed. Pretty awesome thing that the God of heaven would come out of the heavens of glory and come toward us in our pain, isn't it? And say to us, you don't have to do this alone. We'll do it together. Pretty amazing thing, is it not? that the God of heaven would put a towel on His arm and kneel down at His disciples' feet and wash them. It's what Luckett calls love on its knees. Pretty marvelous thing, glorious thing, that this God of heaven would demonstrate His love to the ultimate and crawl upon a cross and die there. I ask you, has anybody ever loved you like that? See from His head, His hands, His feet. Sorrow and love flow mingling down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Our thorns compose so rich a crown. He didn't stand back and say, I love you. He demonstrated it. It's what the world needs of, our, of us and our love. It's so easy to say, I love the world, I love the Lord, I love the lost. What is the demonstration of that? In thy face, said a dying man to his wife, whose devotion, Christian devotion, it is inspiration for a lifetime. In thy face, he said, I have seen the divine. 
For me, it was not so much the truth you taught, to you so clear, to me so dim. But when you came to me, you brought a sense of Him. And from your eyes He beckons me, and from your heart His love is shed, until I lost sight of you and saw the Christ instead. That's love's demonstration. And then Christmas love is love's adoration. I hope you noticed it in verse 1 of chapter, of chapter 3. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Let me give you a little history of that term. It's really one word in the Greek, what manner of. Have any of you ever uh, perfected the uh, hobby of people watching? People are more fun to watch than, than birds. <laughs> Gotta be. And if you've been to the shopping centers, you've probably gotten tired enough, especially if you're a guy, <laughs> that you've Decide you just sit down on one of those benches and uh, watch people. That, that's interesting to watch. I've, I used to travel, as I've mentioned, a lot, and I spent a lot of time in air terminals, airports, and, 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 and I've, I've just kind of developed the art of people watching and just kind of went through a game in my own mind where those people were from as they'd disembark from, from the plains. If they had on a big cowboy hat and boots, I probably I knew where they were from, but... Occasionally, um, somebody you'd see with a dress, you know, a different color of skin, maybe a different way of dressing, you wouldn't know where they were from. Couldn't, under, couldn't understand them, so didn't know where they, where they came from. The art of people watching is an ancient art. In the time of this writing, folks would go down to the seaports and they'd sit in the docks and watch people disembark from ships. And these people in ancient times which got a, had a little game going as to try to uh, predict where these folks came from. But occasionally, somebody would come off a ship and he'd be dressed or she'd be dressed differently, different color of skin, different language. They wouldn't know where she, he or she came from. And so they would use a term, a word, that asked the question, I wonder where these folks are from. Haven't seen anybody like them before. Wonder where they're from. Interesting that that word that was used in the, as a question for people watchers is the word that John uses, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed. And what John is saying is this, I've seen all the loves the world has. I've seen the love of a man for, for his wife. I've seen the love of lovers. I've seen the love of a mother for her daughter. I've seen the love of children for their parents. But I've never seen anything like this before. I've never seen this kind of love before. Dressed up in a different dress speaking a different language, manifesting a different kind of attitude. Oh, what love is this? And the only response to that kind of love is a bent knee and a bowed head. It's Christmas time, a time of jangled nerves. Somebody was giving me a hard time by how nervous I was last Wednesday night. I'm big enough to apologize 
<laughs> I was pretty uptight. Well, you love it, don't you, when you can <laughs> see me all uptight. It's a time of jangled nerves and grumpy clerks and crowded stores. It's a time when we buy more than we can afford, spend more than we have, eat more than we can hold. Who would have ever thought when Julius, Pope Julius I authorized December 25th, 353 A.D. as the day to celebrate the birth of Christ that it would ever have come to this. And who would have ever thought when Charles Pullen put a candle on a tree and brought it inside the house in 1853 and called it a Christmas tree that it would have ever come to this. But for all of the commercialization and all of the orgies that surround Christmas and all of the extravagance that is a part of the celebration, it is fundamentally and importantly celebrated as the birth of the Lord God Himself. The most unique man who has ever lived so unique that writers called Him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. They were saying, we have sensed in Jesus Christ the presence of God like no other man. And we have seen in the person of Jesus Christ what God is like as no other one. And so the writers of Scripture sought a way to, to, to describe Him. And they we're faced with the impossible task of describing the indescribable. And so they went back into the realm of Jewish theology and Jewish thought, and they found a term, a title, the greatest title one could ever apply to a man, Messiah. And they looked at Jesus and said, Messiah. And they went back into Greek thought, and they found a term that was the highest title Greeks could ever apply to any man, Logos, the Word. And they looked at Jesus and they said, Logos, the Word. And with that, they tried to describe Him and couldn't. So pure that no one could find guile in His mouth. So good that no one could convince him of sin. So powerful that in his touch people were healed. And so strong in death that a thief said, Remember me when you come to your kingdom. And a man, an expert in execution, mumbled, Surely this was the Son of God. And history picks up the chant. David Livingston, who traversed Africa, said, All that I am, I owe to Jesus Christ. And Alfred Edensheim, who wrote the marvelous book, The Life and Times of Jesus Christ, said, If Jesus was not born, if Jesus did not live, if Jesus was not the Son of God, if Jesus is not Messiah, then there's never been one, and there never will be. And Dale Evans Rogers said, Most of my life I looked 
for a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. And I discovered a treasure in a manger. What do you think about him? Could you say this morning, he is the greatest, he's the most unique person who has ever lived, and the only way that I can explain it is that he was God in flesh. And he was right who said that the greatest mistake we will ever make is not some theological or some wrongdoing. The greatest mistake we will ever make is to lose ourselves to be love God. The greatest mistake you will ever make is to refuse to allow yourself to be loved Him. Some loves you. Somebody knows you. Let's pray together. Our Father, in this beautiful setting, Christmas, our hearts are just fit with gratitude, thanksgiving, and joy. And we know that the only appropriate response is the bent knee, bowed head. The only appropriate response is the life of obedience. To him who came, took flesh, bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. In every way tempted as we yet without sin, suffering, rising from the dead, ascending to the right hand of it, to follow him who did not remain babe in Bethlehem. But himself to be Lord of Lords and Kings. For whom we bow, to whom we give our praise. And I pray this morning our lost people help them to not refuse his love. If there are Christians who are disobedient, follow him in obedience. Church members who need church home to come this Christmas celebration day and thus honor Him who is worthy of our highest praise. In Jesus, in whose name I pray. Now, in despair, would you stand? The choir begins to sing. You may want to join. Would you come? Just step. As you're standing, you step out and come.